Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brenda. Good morning, church. You might, yeah, good morning. Some of you are still awake. That's good. You might um, recognize having two, us, two of us up here during the sermon time is unusual, and it is. A few times a year, we try to mix it up a little bit. And today will be a little more casual, a little more question and answer from questions that have come in as we kind of finish off this cruciform series. We wanted to take time to respond to some of the questions. Now, I had the chance to be in about five different life groups, and it was great to, to respond in those contexts. Um, but also, we had questions come in online, and we want to respond to those as well. Now, I, I saw this um, information, and I thought, oh, this is encouraging if I put too much pressure on myself to answer all the questions. I'm reminded that Jesus is asked 187 questions, and he maybe at, at most answers only eight of them. So I figured if he only answered eight, then you know, if I can answer a couple, I'm doing pretty good, right? And Jesus was okay being misunderstood, um, because I think... What Jesus is wanting is, is relationship. He, he's wanting dialogue. And, you know, we believe in a person who was God, Jesus Christ. Our faith is more relational in context than sort of propositional truths. We don't believe in an idea. We believe in a risen person. And so as we dig into these questions, there's not always a clear-cut answer. And I think that is partly okay because we see so much mystery in our scriptures. And so we do want to dig in. And this doesn't have to be the only time you've asked questions. We're definitely wanting to answer more of those questions as we go along um, when whatever we're talking about. But we first want to start with God's word. And before we do that, let's pray. God, I thank you and just invite your spirit into this time. Allow us to hear, God, allow us to see more clearly who you are, even if all of our questions aren't answered fully. God, we know you are the answer. In your name we pray. Amen. So earlier on in this series, we talked about John. John 1.1, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was there at the beginning. And it's a beautiful chapter. We looked at more of it in the past. But it's a beautiful declaration of who Jesus himself is. Later on in chapter 1, we hear this. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John is proclaiming that whatever we've seen of God in the Old Testament and whoever has met God in the Old Testament is nothing like Jesus. He's so bold in this that he can say nobody has ever seen God before until they've seen Jesus. Jesus is the best representation of who God is. And so looking at Scripture through the lens of Jesus is one of the things that we've been doing. Because Jesus himself does that. On the road to Emmaus, after the Good Friday, we see Jesus journeying with these people and he, we hear this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that being Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus is there with his followers, and he opens up the scriptures. At that time, is what we would call the Old Testament. And he goes through the whole thing and shows how it points to him. And they're amazed. And they realize this is actually Jesus with them. 
So with that truth, though, comes a question. And this is one of the questions that come up. Why did God wait thousands of years before sending Christ? If he was the point, the climax, why wait? Now, there's really no answer in Scripture that tells us why he waited. Um, So we can only take guesses. I remember when I was in high school, I was at a camp, and, and this question came up, and the response was, well, because of that time during the Roman Empire, transportation was easy, the word could spread, there's relative peace in that part of the world, and so there weren't any sort of barriers for the message getting out. And maybe that's a decent idea. Um, the counter to that be, then why, why not come all the way back to the Tower of Babel, right, when everybody was gathered together? So not the perfect answer. Maybe a sense of God's timing is different from ours. And we see God is willing to wait for a big chunk of history, whether it's after the fall, whether it's between the call of Abraham and the giving of the law to Moses, whether it's the end of the prophets into the time of Jesus, God's timing is certainly different. But in that wait, we can see lots of suffering as well. The answer that sort of resonates most deeply with me is this one. To wait until human theological development had evolved to the point where we could understand Jesus. We discussed this idea of progressive revelation several weeks ago on how God started, you know, meeting his people with sacrifices. But sacrifices wasn't really what was he was going after. He really wanted to go after hearts and lives and how we lived. But there's this idea in scripture um, put forth by a professor named Walter Brueggemann. He talks about orientation disorientation, reorientation. And orientation is this, that the world is ordered, right? There's a structure to how things are working. God protects. He is reliable. Things are working as they should. If you do good, good things will happen to you. And hopefully for a big chunk of our lives, that's what we experience life like. But as we know, life does not always go that way. The world is complex. It's not all black and white. God allows suffering. We might ask, where is God in this moment, like David did and in Psalm 22, and we hear Jesus reading, you know, quoting that psalm on the cross. We see the story of Job, who was the most righteous person who had all this calamity in his life. It turns things upside down. There's chaos. And then when we come out of those dark nights, when we come out of that valley of the shadow of death, there's a reorientation that takes place. It's not a returning to orientation. You can't go back to that point. The world has changed in your eyes. There's grays where everything was black and white before. But you receive this surprising gift of new life. You can approach it and receive it without expectation, without condition, And you can say, God has brought transformation. He has done for me what I could not do for myself. And I think that took time for humanity to be in a place where now Jesus can show up. Brenda, we had talked about this question in terms of God waiting. And and you had shared something that I think would be helpful for us to hear. Right. So, so yeah, I think you asked the question, like, why didn't, why didn't Jesus come earlier, right? And I think um, today we are 
we are still struggling with the same question. Jesus has come, but he's going to come back again, right? And that's where there'll be no more tears and no more suffering. And I, I think um, for many of us, um, we are struggling with the same question too. Why, why wait? <laughs> I mean, why wait? I mean, why can't, why can't Jesus come back now? Why can't Jesus come back yesterday? You know, um, and I think there's that longing um, there. But I, and there have been many theories put forward, like why isn't Jesus here yet? And some theories can point to exactly when Jesus would come back. But we know that, you know, we, we, not, we don't know. And so I, I would say um, that I think it's okay, you know, to rest with a sense of mystery um, and let God be God. Let God, let, I mean, let God do God things, mm. you know. Yeah. Great. Second question that came in is, um, if Jesus is the main point, why read the Old Testament? If Jesus is the main point, what value does the Old Testament have? And so Jesus is the destination, but what about the journey? And I think the journey is quite important because we see how God relates to a people, how God calls a people, how he covenants himself, how he attaches himself to a people, a people that are actually going to disappoint him, a people that are going to wander away, a people that are going to get it wrong. We see lots of God's character in this journey. We see his rescue plan. We see you know, these wonderful psalms and poetry that talk about you know, somebody's struggle in their own relationship with God. So what has come before us is so important to know where we're going. And we also see in the Old Testament how God moved humanity forward. He met them where they're at, but he pushes them forward. We see the care for the orphans and the widows. We see leaving crops behind for those that don't have enough so they can have food. God isn't content on just leaving us in this place. He wants to grow us, and we can see those important steps in the Old Testament. Brenda, I know you have a thought on this as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... Um, so we were just talking about this, and I think I shared with, um, shared with Pastor Wade how... In the, on the first day of my Old Testament class in seminary, um, the professor asked us to, um, to wrestle with this. The question is, what is new about the New Testament? What is new about the New Testament? And we had to wrestle through that, right? Like, um, we call it the New Testament, but what exactly is new? And, 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 you know, um, to your point, I think, so reading the Old Testament, I think it gives us the other, the, the back story, um, pointing, pointing to Jesus. Um, but I think um, it is also um, important to read the Old Testament because the, the authors in the New Testament, you know, when they write the New Testament, it's all based on what they know, their scripture, that's the Old Testament. So when you know, when we read, like, in the gospel, how Jesus stilled the storm and they were scared, you know. They were not scared so much of the, I mean, yeah, I mean, of course, the, turbul- the, the, the waves and all that, but it's like, oh, because in the Old Testament, in their scripture, the only person who could do that kind of thing, like stilling storm, is God himself. So, yeah, I think that really mm-hmm. helps with that. Good. Now, you, you got a preview of this one uh, already. How should we read scripture then? 
we've talked about reading scripture through the lens of Jesus to help understand who God is. And this quote from a professor at Wheaton, um, I think has been in for, you know, very helpful for me, where he says the Bible was written for us, not to us. Now, what does that mean? Sometimes we might have the idea that the Bible sort of descended from heaven directly to us, and we read it in our 21st century context. And that would be to miss out on how the Bible was written and how it was put into scriptures and then to how it has been interpreted. So this quote is getting at a couple of things. One, understand that there was an original audience for each of these books. These 66 books are really a library pulled together in a single book. So understanding what it originally meant is quite important for how we can interpret it for what it means today. So understanding the culture, what it meant to them, understanding what the genre of literature? Is it poetry? Is it gospel? Is it narrative? Is it apocalyptic, which is this word that describes revelation? If we read them all with the same understanding, then we're going to misinterpret what it actually means. Now, we're going to get to Revelation in the fall, so I won't say much more about that, but we definitely want to read that book differently than we read the other books. All right, I, I saw this, and I, and I thought it kind of gets at some of this idea of what we've been talking, how to interpret the Bible. The Bible is clear. Moabites are bad. They were not to be allowed to dwell among God's people, Deuteronomy 23. But then comes this redemptive story of Ruth, the Moabite, which challenges the prejudice against Moabites. The Bible is clear. People from us are evil. We see this in Jeremiah. But then comes the story of Job, a man from us who was the most blameless man on the earth. The Bible is clear. No foreigners or eunuchs are allowed, Deuteronomy 23 again. But then comes the wonderful story of this African eunuch welcomed into the church we see in Acts 8. The Bible is clear. God's people hated Samaritans. But then Jesus tells us a story that shows that all... Not all Samaritans were bad in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The story may begin with prejudice, discrimination, and animosity, but the Spirit moves God's people towards openness, welcome, inclusion, and acceptance. So have this in mind when you're reading the story. Where are we at in this big story of God's rescue plan? Where does it fit in that? And that will give us context to how to understand it. Now, Brenda, you got questions about marketplace and Jesus being the king. You want to jump into that? Sure, sure. Yeah. No, but thank you, Pastor Wade, for taking us through um, the questions that have been raised um, you know, in the series um, when, you, when you preach and in such a succinct manner. I've only done two sermons in the series, um, but I don't know if I can take us through in such a succinct manner, but let's try. Maybe could I, yeah. So... So I've done two sermons in the series, one on Palm Sunday, where Jesus declared, you know, he's like the rightful king, the king is here, and the sermon on the cruciform marketplace, you know, where talked about how Jesus triumphed over the powers and principalities. And, and so then after that, what does it look like for the marketplace or society with its systems and structures and institutions to reflect Jesus Christ? What does that look like? And talked about how we are called as people who bear his name, you know, that wherever we are in the marketplace, 
we, we, we all do life in the marketplace, you know, how, wherever, wherever we are to tell the world, tell the good news about Jesus being Lord and the power and principalities are no longer Lord. So I have received uh, some questions about that and some discussions as well. But I have to lump everything together and talk generally the theme um, that, that runs through all the questions. Um, and they mostly have to do with, wow, so difficult how to do it. You know, so it's this sense that, you know, how do you speak life into systems and structures when everything seems to be stacked against you? You know, it just seems so difficult. How do you not get discouraged, you know? You know, especially when you take two steps forward and one step back, or two steps forward and three steps back, you know? So words that have been, I mean, some, I've picked out some of the words in those questions. Um, one, I've tried to be faithful, but I just don't see any fruit. It's no use fighting against status quo. The system will literally beat me down if I take it on. And this last one, the sermon focuses on what the ideal should be. I don't even think about the ideal because I'm such a small potato that I don't think I can make a dent in anything. And that's what I'm going to start with, the small potatoes. See, um, oh, I know this is a, <laughs> okay, small potatoes. Um, and it is true that, you know, and those of us who have like power and influence and position, we are called to steward that properly, you know, for God's, uh, for God's world. But see, God did not call only those who are powerful and those who have influence um, to do his thing. In fact, God called a group of small potatoes in the first century to do his thing. You know, you can read that in um, the book of Acts. Um, to, to, to put into effect, you know, his lordship over the world. And these, you know, these nobodies, you know, they turned the world upside down or right side up in the first century. Um, this, I mean, I call it the small, small potatoes ministry. And, um, and it's a wonderful thing that God chooses to work through, yes, the influential, but mostly, often, the small potatoes. And so... Um, how do we, I mean, I can't, uh, I mean, not here to give a solution to our very complex problems, but I would just want to say a few things about how do we be, how can we be encouraged um, as we do the small potatoes ministry? So I think if we, if we, I think the first one is change, you know, we take change for granted, right? But in the ancient world, change is not to be, it's just not a thing. People don't want change. People want status quo. You know, and um, you, it's like if you are born as a, as a property to someone, then you will remain a property. You, 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 there's, change is not to be uh, strived for. And in Chinese, we say ying mang, right? Like, just, it's your lot in life. But Christianity um, is the one that is for change and not status quo. And, um, and so, you know, with the resurrection of Jesus, the small potatoes went out and change the world in the power of the Holy Spirit because they know the vision of what God's world should look like. And it began slowly, one step at a time. So from, from a season, I mean, from a time when human lives were cheap, like totally cheap, like human life, you don't save human lives. But now just, but if you look at how we value human life now, we have come a long, long way. You know, Christianity, 
uh, was responsible for hospitals and orphanages because they believed that there is value to human life. And so God changed the world from then. And we might think that God will stop, has stopped changing the world. Now, no, but God is still continue, continuing to change the world, you know. And, um, and so we, we must not lose sight of that. You know, we must be aware and we must recognize and have a vision that God is still changing the, the world and all, the, and all parts of the world, including the marketplace. But, um, it is, but we might want things to come like just like how we were talking, like what we we're talking about just now, we might want things to happen yesterday and all of it, and then we get discouraged when it doesn't. So I just want to talk a little bit about proximate justice here. It's um, a term that one of my professors loves to use. You know, it's about a choice to make peace with something that is not everything. So it's making peace with something that is not absolute justice, but a bit more justice, a bit more merciful, a little bit more truth. So not all or nothing. So every time we take that one little step forward and bring a little bit more just, justice and a little bit more mercy and a little bit more truth, we are joining God in bringing his reign to the world. So let me finish with um, my, I call it my small potato story. Uh, I have other stories um, that when I've seen, you know, God work a certain way, but I, I wanted to start with this story because um, this is the story of when I was really a small potato in my life. So, and if you have heard this story before, because I've shared this in some other uh, faith and work ministry spaces, bear with me. So, some of you know that I started my, um, I started uh, my, my, work, my working life um, as a lawyer in the legal industry. I was part of a team then um, working on an M&A deal, so mergers and acquisitions you know, two, two, two entities coming together, you know, and then you have to get rid of some people so that, you know, you, you are, I don't know, cheaper to run and more efficient. And so I was, uh, I had this task with two other people to comb through many contracts to see how we can fire, how we could let go of people legally and as cheaply as possible. Free, if that's even possible, you know. And so, um, so nobody really asked the question, so what's going to happen to all those people who you, know, who you might let go of? And something stirred in here, and I went to speak to my boss. You know, I, I was like, um, uh, you know, like, these people, could we do more for them? You know, could we do a little bit more for them? And that totally caught him by surprise. Remember, I was very, very junior then, probably second year, if, yeah, second year in my practice and he, he really gave me a look uh, that something like who are you <laughs> who are you again you know it's like and it was awkward right um, like um, and then he said we just take instructions uh, and that awkward silence again you know but I think that something um, hit him at the moment you know because after more silent awkward silences he said I'll see what I can do, you know, and this is it, right? Um, so, um, you know, and, and did I have a happy ending story? No, I did not have a happy ending story because I don't know. I don't know what happened, okay? So there were indications that my boss actually made some suggestions to the client, but I actually don't know. But I think it's okay not to know. I mean, I, I believe that a, a seed has been sown, you know, but I, I think that um, 
you know, just following the prompting of the Holy Spirit there and then, you know. And I played my small potato part in God's great plan of redemption, trusting in faith that God is taking my one little bit in part of his bigger plan. I don't know um, what my... How, how, what it did to my boss and his heart. Um, I don't know any of that, but I think we can all take heart that um, God uses small potatoes to do things that the fruit we may not see until one day we get to see him face to face and ask him about. You know, so it takes trust, you know, and um, I'm going to share a very, very short quote with you in a moment, but I'm just going to ask Pastor Wade whether he wants to add anything. No, that's, that's helpful because sometimes the fact that God uses humans means it's a slow process. Last night in Life Group, we were talking about this very question. And depending on where you're at, you're that junior person or you're in a higher up role, you have different capacities to impact change. And so people were sharing some of their stories of hoping to be change makers and how to do that. So yeah, this is, looks different in each of our lives depending on which context we're in. Thank you, Pastor Wade. So this quote I'm going to share with you um, is this, that Christianity is not a call for insurrection, but a testimony to the reality of the resurrection. You know, it's very easy to want to go out there and, you know, sometimes you want to take things by violence, right? You want to fight for the right thing using violence. But the reality of the resurrection, you know, is not violence or insurrection. And the testimony is often carried out through small potatoes ministry. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Pastor Brenda. To kind of bring this to a close, the whole concept of this series was Jesus at the center, that cruciform shape of his arms out, giving his life so that we could have life, and then his invitation to us to be his disciples in this world to be his small potatoes, if you will, in this world, bringing his kingdom. So there is this quote by Dallas Willard from The Great Omission that I thought was helpful. Once we who are disciples, we could put in small potatoes there, have assisted others with becoming disciples, disciples of Jesus, not of us, we can gather them in ordinary life situations under the supernatural Trinitarian presence. That's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Gathering all these little potatoes, if you will, for his mission. These disciples are called his called out ones, his ecclesia, this word for church, this gathering of people. And their walk is already in heaven. We are bringing that heaven on earth that Jesus is praying about because heaven is in action where they are. And that's God's invitation to us to heaven on earth is his prayer. And as his followers, we get to be a part of that. So this kingdom, new creation, you know, that we had been looking at that, that image of heaven and earth completely overlapping. What are those things that won't make it into that kingdom that we can adjust how we live now, that we can ask questions, that we can plant seeds? Where does that look? Jürgen Moltmann, a German theologian, says this, none of us will be delivered from the world, but we shall all be chosen for this world. 
as his followers were chosen for this world, to make change in this world, in the here and now. And that's his invitation to us. New creation has begun, and we get to be a part of seeing it happen. We don't know when he's coming back, and we can certainly ask him when he does. Why so long? We don't know, but we do know what he has called us to do in the meantime. To be testimonies to who he is this cruciform life, and to bring his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you, in fact, are Jesus, Lord and Savior. That instead of using your power for your own advantage, you used your power for others. Instead of using your privilege and staying distant, you took the form of a man and you came to serve Instead of being disinterested in our problems and challenges, you came to be the solution. You came to journey with. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. In your name, amen.